Welcome to eBible Fellowship's Sunday Bible Study. For broadcast times in your area of these studies, visit our website at www.ebiblefellowship.com. And now it's time to begin our Sunday study with your speaker, Chris McCann. Hello and welcome to eBible Fellowship's Sunday Afternoon Bible Study. Today we're going to return to a study in the book of Jeremiah and This will be study number five of Jeremiah chapter 50. And we're going to be reading from Jeremiah 50, verses 9 through 11. For lo, I will raise and cause to come up against Babylon an assembly of great nations from the north country. And they shall set themselves in array against her. From thence she shall be taken. Their arrows shall be as of a mighty expert man, None shall return in vain. And Chaldea shall be a spoil. All that spoil her shall be satisfied, saith Jehovah, because ye were glad, because ye rejoiced, O ye destroyers of mine heritage, because you're grown fat as the heifer at grass and bellow as bulls. And I'll stop reading there. Now, we're returning to this study. We... um had looked at the first several verses a while ago. And um, it's important for us to remember who Babylon represents. And and so uh, let's remind ourselves as, as we look at verse 9 here in Jeremiah chapter 50, where God says, For lo, I will raise and cause to come up against Babylon an assembly of great nations from the north country. And there was a similar statement made back in verse 3 of Jeremiah 50, where it says, For out of the north there cometh up a nation against her, which shall make her land desolate, and none shall dwell therein. They shall remove, they shall depart, both man and beast. So the enemy of Babylon comes out of the north. And God is uh, reaffirming that here, that he will bring an assembly of great nations against her from the north country. Now, historically, um, these nations were the Medes and the Persians. Uh, For instance, in uh, Daniel 5, in um, verse 28, we, we have a historical record of Babylon being taken. And um, it says in uh, verse 28 of Daniel chapter 5, Thy kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. And then in verse 30, In that night was Belshazzar, the king of the Chaldeans, slain, and Darius the Median took the kingdom, being about threescore and two years old. So, there's no question historically as to who God is referring to. And we know that the king of the Medes and the Persians, uh, Darius, also known as Cyrus, is a type of Christ. And, and this is seen in Isaiah chapter 44. We'll look at the last verse of that chapter, verse 28, that saith of Cyrus, he is my shepherd, and shall perform all my pleasure, even saying to Jerusalem, Thou shalt be built, 
into the temple thy foundation shall be laid. So the Lord calls Cyrus his shepherd. And then in chapter 45, verse 1, Thus saith Jehovah to his anointed, and, and that word anointed is the same word translated as Messiah in Daniel chapter 9. It, and, and of course that word Messiah points to Christ. Thus saith Jehovah to his anointed to Cyrus, whose right hand I have holden, and, and it, then it goes on. So Cyrus is called God's shepherd and his anointed. Now who else fits that bill, or who else does God speak of as being his shepherd and uh, the Messiah, and only the Lord Jesus Christ? And that's why Cyrus, the king of the Medes and the Persians, is um, used by God as a type and a figure. And when Babylon was taken historically, after a 70-year period that typified the period of the Great Tribulation that comes at the end of the world, well, the clear spiritual picture is that Christ is common judgment upon the world at the end of the Great Tribulation. And that is the picture that God is referring to here in Jeremiah 50, verse 9, when he refers to raising an assembly of great nations from the north country against Babylon. Now, um, we, we also read, um, just to confirm this even further, in Isaiah 13, and we've looked at this before, but since we got away from the study in Jeremiah for a period of time, let's, let's, uh, remind ourselves and, and allow the Bible to bring us into remembrance once again in Isaiah chapter 13. It says, the burden of Babylon, which Isaiah, the son of Amos, did see. Now, the word burden here is translated as prophecy twice in the book of Proverbs. And and so, uh, the word burden relates to divine revelation from God. This is the prophecy of Babylon, which God gave to Isaiah, the son of Amos. And then we we read uh, in the following verses what that prophecy is. And it's a prophecy describing judgment day on the world. And yet it's the prophecy of Babylon. In verse 9, it says, Behold, the day of Jehovah cometh, cruel, both with wrath and fierce anger, to lay the land desolate, and he shall destroy the sinners thereof out of it. And then in verse 10, For the stars of heaven and the constellations thereof shall not give their light. The sun shall be darkened in his going forth, and the moon shall not cause her light to shine. Now it's important that we relate that verse back to Matthew 24, verse 29, because it's the same language. Immediately after the tribulation, of those days, the sun shall be darkened, the moon shall not give her light, and the stars of the heaven will fall. And notice the similarity between um, Cyrus or, or Darius, the king of the Medes and the Persians, conquering Babylon at the end of the 70 years. That's 
the point of Babylon's fall, and that typifies the end of the Great Tribulation, and what God is saying here in Isaiah 13 of the prophecy of Babylon, and then he speaks of the day of Jehovah, and he identifies the day of Jehovah with the the darkened um, sun and so forth, and and then God makes sure we don't miss it in verse 11, and I will punish the world for their evil and the wicked for their iniquity, and it will cause the arrogancy of the proud to cease and will lay low the haughtiness of the terrible. Now, this is all part of the prophecy of Babylon, and God speaks of punishing the world. Verse 13, Therefore I will shake the heavens, and the earth shall remove out of her place in the wrath of Jehovah of hosts, in the day of his fierce anger. It is describing, without really any question at all, judgment day. And this is the prophecy of Babylon. Then notice, in the context, God goes from, uh, first of all, setting the context as the burden of Babylon, And then speaking of punishing the world, right back to describing Babylon in um, verse 15. Everyone that is found shall be thrust through, and everyone that is joined unto them shall fall by the sword. Their children also shall be dashed to pieces before their eyes. Their houses shall be spoiled, and their wives ravished. Behold! I will stir up the meads against them, which shall not regard silver, and as for gold, they shall not delight in it. Their bows also shall dash the young men to pieces, and they shall have no pity on the fruit of the womb. Their eye shall not spare children, and Babylon, the glory of kingdoms, the beauty of the Chaldees' excellency, shall be as when God overthrew Sodom, and Gomorrah. And here, uh, it, uh, I know sometimes the Bible's language is confusing, but Isaiah 13 is not. Isaiah 13 is uh, crystal clear in its depiction of Babylon as the kingdom of this world in the day of judgment. And and God uses the figure of the Medes coming against them in the day of judgment, just as uh, Cyrus is a type of Christ, and it was the Medes and the Persians that took the kingdom of Babylon. It It is describing the judgment that comes immediately after the Great Tribulation period, and that Great Tribulation was typified by the 70-year period of Judah's history, in which Babylon was victorious, Babylon was ruling, and and the Jews were captives in Babylon. But then, Babylon that spoiled Judea, Babylon that conquered um, the people of God, was itself conquered. And that's what God is describing in Jeremiah 50. For lo, I will raise and cause to come up against Babylon an assembly of great nations. 
from the north country, and they shall set themselves in array against her, and from, from thence she shall be taken. Their arrows shall be as of a mighty expert man, none shall return in vain. Well, let's, um, discuss the, the next part of this verse, and that is the arrows of this assembly of great nations that are going to be um, shot. They're, they're going to fly through the air against Babylon. What, what does the Bible have in view when it speaks of arrows? Well, one thing's for sure. It's a weapon that can injure and kill. And God says in Psalm 64... Psalm 64 in uh, verses 2 and 3. Well, well, maybe also 4. Let's see. Psalm 64 beginning in verse 2. Hide me from the secret counsel of the wicked, from the insurrection of the workers of iniquity, who wet their tongue like a sword, and bend their bows to shoot their arrows, even bitter words, that they may shoot in secret at the perfect. Suddenly do they shoot at him and fear not. Now, here, notice that the tongue is likened to a sword, and um, arrows are likened to bitter words. Now, God does use the figure of a sword to represent his word. So, even though this is speaking of the wicked, and their uh, tendency to speak evil of uh, the true believers, of the children of God, and, and to attack them uh, with their mouth, with their tongue, and with their words. Yet we can see that, that here there is a figure being used of the sword that matches up with the figure God uses of his own word. As the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword. And and so we uh, can understand also that arrows here are spoken of as bitter words. Or words itself, as the wicked would use them, they would be bitter words. They would be not words of grace and goodness, but evil words. But the idea of words... Uh, fits what the Bible says of arrows. As uh, in Jeremiah 50, God is speaking of the assembly of nations brought against Babylon. Their arrows shall be as of a mighty expert man. None shall return in vain. And this spiritually would identify with their words. Now let's look at Deuteronomy 32. Deuteronomy chapter 32, and God is here discussing his wrath. It says in verse 22, For a fire is kindled in mine anger, and shall burn unto the lowest hell, and shall consume the earth with her increase, and set on fire the foundations of the mountains. I will heap mischiefs upon them, I will spend mine arrows upon them. They shall be burnt with hunger and devoured with burning heat and with bitter destruction. 
I will also send the teeth of beasts upon them with the poison of serpents of the dust. And here the Lord is describing the pouring out of his wrath upon uh, the objects of his wrath, which would be the unsaved. And he, he says, I will spend mine arrows upon them. Now in Psalm 7, in Psalm 7, it says, uh, beginning in verse 11, God judges the righteous and God is angry with the wicked every day. If he turn not, he will wet his sword. He has bent his bow and made it ready. He has also prepared for him the instruments of death. He ordaineth his arrows against the persecutors. See, if the unsaved individual does not turn, or, or we can speak of this in the past tense, if he would not have turned, if he did not turn, then God comes against him in battle, and God takes the weapons of battle, and we read here, he wets his sword, and what is that sword? As the Bible spiritually defines it, it is the word of God. And he has bent his bow and made it ready, and ordaineth his arrows against the persecutors. And what would those arrows be that God shoots? Well, it would be um, the, the same thing as the sword. It would represent the word of God. And, and these would be words of wrath and words of fury and words of judgment coming forth from the Bible. And, and that's what uh, is in view here with these um, individuals that are of the assembly of great nations from the north country when they set themselves in array against her, Babylon. From thence she shall be taken and um, and Babylon was taken. The kingdom of this world, the kingdom of Satan, was taken on May 21, 2011. That is when God speaks of Babylon's fall. Uh, you know, we, we need to get this um, in our minds and make sure we understand it correctly in Revelation 18. The chapter speaking of Babylon, it says in verse 2, And he cried mightily with a strong voice, saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen, and has become the habitation of devils, and the hold of every foul spirit, and a cage of every unclean and hateful bird. Now, historically, let's ask that question, when did Babylon fall? And the answer is, after 70 years. Did Babylon fall when uh, Nebuchadnezzar came against Jerusalem and began taking of the Jews captive? No. Did Babylon fall when it destroyed Jerusalem and destroyed the temple of God? No. Did Babylon fall even for years thereafter? No. Babylon fell at the end of 70 years when its period of power and might and authority was finished. And the king of Babylon, 
the Bible identifies as Satan and the coming of the king of Babylon against Judah, what is that a spiritual picture of? It's the picture of God loosing Satan at the end and Satan entering into the churches as the man of sin, as the abomination of desolation, ruling and reigning in the congregations. Was that kingdom of Satan um, fallen when Satan overcame the churches in 1988? No, no, not at all. Was the kingdom of Satan Babylon it uh, spiritually uh, when he ruled and reigned with authority in the churches for 23 years? No, we can't say Babylon fell at any point during that 23-year period. Babylon wasn't fallen. It was rising. It was uh, a power, the, the greatest of powers. The beast had risen up out of the sea and out of the land, and the beast was reigning in the world and in the church. Babylon had certainly not fallen. Babylon had risen to unprecedented heights. Babylon was the greatest power on earth. When did Babylon fall? Babylon fell at the end of the Great Tribulation period, the 23-year judgment on the churches, exactly parallel to the end of the 70-year historical period in which Babylon uh, uh, was a, uh, the world's greatest power, and then suddenly in a night, in a night, all, uh, as Cyrus or Darius took the kingdom, he came like a thief in the night. Isn't that interesting how he suddenly and uh, and without warning took the kingdom of Babylon, just as the Bible says that Christ comes as a thief in the night. And that is when Babylon fell. And it only identifies with the end of the Great Tribulation, the end of the judgment on the churches. And and so God says Babylon is fallen. Now if we go back to Isaiah 13, uh, which we looked at a little bit ago, and remember it's the prophecy of Babylon, and, and a chapter in context where God speaks of punishing the world, and then we saw that he uh, quickly um, changes thought from punishing the world to uh, to bringing the Medes against Babylon. And we read in verse 19, Babylon, the glory of kingdoms, the beauty of the Chaldees' excellency shall be as when God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. And then notice verse 20, it shall never be inhabited, neither shall it be dwelled in from generation to generation, neither shall the Arabian pitch tent there, neither shall the shepherds make their fold there, but wild beasts of the desert shall lie there, and their houses shall be full of doleful creatures, and owls shall dwell there, and satyrs shall dance there, and the wild beasts of the island shall cry in their desolate houses, and dragons in their pleasant palaces, and her time is near to come, and her days shall not be prolonged. Now I wanted to read this because it says, Their houses shall be full of doleful creatures, and owls shall dwell there. 
and an owl is an unclean bird. And in Revelation 18, Babylon the Great is fallen, has fallen, has become the habitation of devils and hold of every foul spirit and cage of every unclean and hateful bird. And this is describing Judgment Day, the the punishment of the world that began on May 21, 2011. That is what is in view when we're reading that Babylon has been taken and taken by the Lord Jesus Christ. He has conquered her. He has come as a thief in the night, exactly as uh, he came as a thief in the night upon the churches and brought judgment on them. He has come as a thief and unawares to the world. They they don't see him. They don't realize that God's wrath is upon them presently, but it is true. It is what the Bible is declaring. And, and so Babylon is taken, and um, their arrows, that is the arrows of the assembly of great nations, shall be as of a mighty expert man. And we saw that the arrows relate to the word of God as God opens up scripture as he has done to reveal the spiritual judgment that has come upon the world on the date that God had foretold and forewarned that it would happen and that he had his people proclaim and broadcast to all the world in a very loud way, in an unmistakable way, uh, it, it, this was not done in a corner. We could use that figure from the Bible that God did this very publicly in uh, declaring these things all over the earth and and the world was aware of the date of May 21, 2011 as being the day of proclaimed judgment and then when they didn't see anything with their physical eyes, they determined, oh, it's not judgment at all. Well, yet God has opened up these things from the Bible, and God's people, who were granted wisdom and understanding to see the judgment on the churches, although there's no physical judgment there, God's people were granted wisdom to understand that Nonetheless, the cup of the wrath of God was given first to the churches, and now God's people are granted wisdom to see and understand that the same cup of wrath is now handed to the nations of the world, to the unsaved inhabitants of the earth, to Babylon. Babylon will drink of the cup of the wrath of God. Just as God points out in Jeremiah 25 that the nations will not be utterly unpunished. Certainly not. He will make sure they drink of the same cup first given to the people called by his name. And these are the arrows that that God is sending forth that are flying uh, to hit their targets as he will um, have his word go forth 
And these arrows are of a mighty expert man. Now the, the Hebrew word translated as expert is Strong's number 7919. And this word is translated as wise in Daniel chapter 12 in verses 3 and 10. Remember that very familiar verse in Daniel 12 in uh, verse 10. We, at least uh, we've gotten familiar with it. It says, many shall be purified and made white and tried, but the wicked shall do wickedly. And none of the wicked shall understand, but the wise shall understand. And, and that's a translation of the same he uh, of the same Hebrew word that's translated as expert here in our verse, and this word is also translated as understanding in Daniel eleven. In Daniel eleven, verses um, in verse thirty-three, and also in verse thirty-five, and they that understand among the people shall instruct many that they shall fall by the sword and by flame, by captivity and by spoil many days. It's the word understand there. Verse 35, And some of them of understanding shall fall to try them and to purge and to make them white even to the time of the end because it is yet for a time appointed. So the, this word is translated as wise in Daniel 12 and understanding, uh, understand and understanding in Daniel 11. And therefore... Their arrow shall be of a mighty wise man. None shall return in vain. And, uh, of course, as soon as we make that substitution that the Bible permits, substituting the word wise for expert, we realize who's in view. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Their arrows of the assembly of nations are as of a mighty wise man, because it is referring to the word of God. The arrows are pointing to words that a mighty wise man has spoken, the Lord Jesus Christ. And and so the the assembly of great nations is referring to the true believers, as we know that Christ comes in judgment with his saints, and um, he he has begun to judge the world on May 21 and has determined to leave his people in the world and to open up scriptures to them, to their understanding, that they will in turn share with others. And, and once they do share these things, it will be as though arrows are flying forth and they are from him. They are as of a mighty wise man coming forth from the Lord Jesus himself. He is using his people in uh, different ways to uh, bring about the judgment. In one way, it was the fact that he has saved them all. But in another way, as, as was declared um, in the beginning of Jeremiah 50, in verse 2, where God is speaking to the elect, it says there, Declare ye among the nations, and publish, and set up a standard. Publish, and conceal not. Say, Babylon is taken. 
Bel is confounded. Merodach is broken in pieces. Her idols are confounded. Her images are broken in pieces. So God is commanding and encouraging and um, letting us know that it is His will that we publish these things. We and and um, and He even says, "Conceal not. Don't." Don't think that you're to hide this information. Don't think that you're to shy away or, or, um, water it down or, or say it more softly or do anything of that kind. No, you are to declare it, publish it. And when you do so, your words, because they're coming forth from the Bible, will be as arrows of a mighty wise man. And they will hit the target. They will, uh, as it says here, none shall return in vain. Now, it's very interesting that the uh, Hebrew word translated as in vain here is found in Isaiah chapter 55. In Isaiah 55, where we have that very familiar and wonderful um, statement of God, and I'll uh, I'll read in verse 10 into verse 11, so we we get the full setting of this statement. It says in Isaiah 55:10, "For as the rain cometh down, and the snow from heaven, and returneth not thither, but watereth the earth." And maketh it bring forth in bud, that it may give seed to the sower, and bread to the eater. So shall my word be, that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me in vain. Well, no, it doesn't say that there. It says void, but it's the same Hebrew word. It's actually a similar statement, isn't it? Even the rest of the words of that statement. So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void. And we, we know spiritually when God's word goes forth out of his mouth. Well, if it's going forth in judgment, it is as though arrows are flying to the, the objects of his wrath and they are the targets of the Bible's condemnation. And and just as God sends forth His Word to accomplish His um, salvation plan to save His elect, likewise, He sends it forth to accomplish His purposes of judgment. As, uh, as God is revealing in this time period, his righteous judgment, as it says in Romans 2, in verse 5, But after thy hardness and impenitent heart, treasurest up unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. And, and, and the day of wrath is a day of revelation, a day uh, in which God reveals His righteous judgment. And when God reveals something to His people, His people declare it and, and proclaim it and, and share it with others. And so, 
uh, God's people now are sharing these things, and they're as though arrows of a mighty wise man, and none shall return void or in vain. The the word of God will accomplish its purpose. And what is God's purpose at this time? It is to feed sheep on one hand, and it is to proclaim judgment upon Babylon on the other hand. And both purposes of God will be accomplished. And, well, uh, let, let's move on now in um, Jeremiah 50 and go to the next verse, verse 10. And it says, And Chaldea shall be a spoil. All that spoil her shall be satisfied, saith Jehovah. Chaldea shall be a spoil. Chaldea is another name for Babylon. It's a synonym, and to spoil Chaldea means that Babylon has been defeated. Because once a nation has been defeated or conquered, then the the, uh, conquering power, the conquering nation, takes the spoil. We read in Deuteronomy chapter 2, It says in, um, beginning in verse 33, And Jehovah our God delivered him before us, and we smote him and his sons and all his people. This is referring to Sihon. And then it goes on in verse 34, And we took all his cities at that time, and utterly destroyed the men and the women and the little ones of every city. We left none to remain. And, you know, this this is important for us to take note of, that God, in judgment, notice, destroys men, women, and little ones. Now, there are people who, who would, um, protest and, and decry this and, and they would uh, complain and say, it is not just. It is not right. It, it is, my God would not do such a thing. Or, or they would try to lay some charge against God. And yet, what does the Bible tell us? The Bible says that, first of all, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The Bible tells us that we're conceived in iniquity. That we're, um, we're born speaking lies. That, that all have sinned means man men, women, and children, that there is no exception, there are no innocents, there are none that are not guilty. And and so when God would um, have Joshua and, and Israel conquer a nation uh, during the conquest of the land of Canaan, uh, he would often have them destroy Every man, woman, and child. And, uh, and, and this was a picture of the wrath of God of judgment day. When judgment falls upon every unsaved individual. Doesn't matter how old someone is. It doesn't matter how young someone is. It, all that matters is that man has offended God and that God holds man accountable and 
and if man does not have a savior, he will come under the wrath of God, and that includes children. And, and so, as we, we saw earlier too, in reading the account of Isaiah 13, that, uh, concerning the Medes and the Persians, and I want to go back to this. In Isaiah 13, in the day of the Lord, the day in which God is punishing the world, notice what God points out as he switches to the picture of the Medes and Persians conquering Babylon. But it's the same thing. It's Christ and his people, Christ and the saints judging the world. In Isaiah 13, um, verse 16, their children also shall be dashed to pieces before their eyes. Their houses shall be spoiled and their wives ravished. Behold, I will stir up the meads against them, which shall not regard silver. And as for gold, they shall not delight in it. And that silver and gold indicates that the true believers are there. And yet silver and gold is not going to spare anyone. And then in verse 18, their bows also shall dash the young men to pieces, and they shall have no pity on the fruit of the womb. Their eyes shall not spare children. Here God is letting it be known that no, uh, uh, when he shuts the door of heaven, it is shut. It is a tragic thing. It is a grievous thing, and God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. And yet it is a fact that God has come in judgment and that judgment is upon all unsaved people, man, woman, and child. And and there is no mercy to the fruit of the womb. There is no sparing of children. Remember uh, that, that sorrowful account in Ezekiel 14, where God says, even if uh, Noah... Job and Daniel were in the land, and that word land is often translated as earth. They could not deliver um, son nor daughter. And God says it three times. If these three greatest of men were there, they could not deliver son nor daughter. That is, God is not sparing children. Oh, our, our only hope is that God had mercy before he shut the door of heaven. And and so we pray and beseech the Lord, O Father, is it possible that having had mercy, you might have mercy? For we know your will at this time. But upon all, we still are, are kindly permitted by God to pray for them. And, uh, and we can pray, Oh, may the cup of your wrath pass from them. Oh, Father, we pray that this cup might pass and that you might deliver them from this cup of wrath that you are pouring out upon all the people of the world that are unsaved. Well, we see that going back to Jeremiah 50, that Chaldea shall be a spoil and... Chaldea is Babylon, and God is saying this because uh, 
Babylon has been conquered. Did I? Did, oh, I didn't finish reading in Deuteronomy two. Um, I read thirty three and thirty four, um, but I didn't read verse thirty five, which is the word that uh, the verse that has the word spoil. Let me go back there in Deuteronomy two verse thirty five. Only the cattle we took for a prey unto ourselves, and to spoil the cities which we took. So the the uh, Israelites conquered the cities of Sihon, and spoiled them. And likewise, on May 21, 2011, God, the Lord Jesus Christ, conquered Babylon and spoiled them. And that was a day of victory, a day of exaltation of the Lord Jesus, a day in which he took over the house of Satan just as Mordecai took over the house of Haman. And so God is speaking of it uh, here in Jeremiah 50, verse 10, Chaldea shall be a spoil. All that spoil her shall be satisfied, saith Jehovah. Now we, we wonder what this means. What does God mean, all that spoil her? This would be the assembly of the great nations that, that uh, come with the Medes and the Persians. That, and we know that Cyrus is a type of Christ. And we suspect that the assembly of great nations would be the true believers. And we're correct. And this word satisfied helps us to understand that. Because in Jeremiah 31, in, let's see, Jeremiah 31 It says in verse 14, And I will satiate the soul of the priest with fatness, and my people shall be satisfied with my goodness, saith Jehovah. So here God is saying that it is his people that are satisfied. And actually, in this same chapter, in Jeremiah 50, a little further on, in verse 17, Israel is a scattered sheep. The lions have driven him away. First, the king of Assyria has devoured him. And last, this Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, has broken his bones. Therefore, thus saith Jehovah of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I will punish the king of Babylon and his land, as I have punished the king of Assyria. And I will bring Israel again to his habitation, and he shall feed on Carmel and Bashan, and his soul shall be satisfied upon Mount Ephraim and Gilead. So Israel will be satisfied. And notice uh, it's in the same breath as God is saying, I will punish the king of Babylon and his land. Israel will be satisfied. But let's um, go to a psalm where God will spiritually define exactly what he means by being satisfied. In Psalm 90 and verse 14, it says, O satisfy us early with thy mercy, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. So to be satisfied is to uh, to uh, receive or be a recipient of the mercy of God that satisfies the the soul of the sinner. In Psalm ninety one, 
in verse 16, it says, With long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation. That is uh, what the Bible is uh, speaking of when it speaks of satisfaction or true biblical satisfaction. You know, the world has its ideas of what satisfaction is, but of course, uh, uh, God speaks of true satisfaction as salvation. And um, this is why, for instance, in Amos 4, where the Lord is speaking of a famine, a spiritual famine, he says in verse 8, So two or three cities wandered unto one city to drink water, but they were not satisfied. Yet have ye not returned unto me, saith Jehovah. And here uh, in in this chapter, God is speaking of the judgment on the churches and their lack of satisfaction. That is, there's no salvation there. There's no mercy. There's no more long life for those that remain in the churches. They, uh, they uh, have no way of being blessed because there's a famine of hearing the word of God and the Holy Spirit is not working, saving sinners, satisfying souls. But God uses this word in Jeremiah 50 in verse 10, Chaldea shall be a spoil. All that spoil her shall be satisfied, saith Jehovah. And that means all that are conquering Babylon, all that are with the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, who who come in judgment upon this world, are saved. They are God's elect. Christ and and 10,000 saints. It is the Lord Jesus and the whole company of elect, all those that he has saved. And... They are with him as he is judging the world. As 1 Corinthians chapter 6 tells us that that is the case, that God will come with his people in judgment. And and so Babylon is a spoil, and all of God's people are spoiling her. That is what this verse is, is revealing to us. Now if we turn back to Revelation 18... Remember, here God says in verse 5, For her sins, and, and again this is a chapter speaking of Babylon, Her sins have reached unto heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. Reward her, even as she rewarded you, and double unto her double according to her works. In the cup which she has filled, fill to her double. See, the whole problem is that Babylon was used of God to uh, to bring the judgment on the churches. And that judgment on the churches was the giving of the cup of the wrath of God to the church first. So God used Babylon. It, it was an instrument, as Satan was called his servant, or Nebuchadnezzar, who typifies Satan, was called God's servant as God used Nebuchadnezzar to destroy Judea, and and that pictured God using Satan to destroy the church. So Babylon 
gave the cup to the church. And, and, uh, and God will address this in Jeremiah 50 verse 11, that they certainly relish this, as it says there, because you were glad, because you rejoiced, O ye destroyers of mine heritage. Babylon, uh, went at it. They, they were very happy to be used of God in this way. They took pleasure in the fact that God was judging his own heritage, the, the people called by his name, those that had association with him and identified with his kingdom. They were representatives of his kingdom on the earth. And now, though, God is saying, reward her even as she rewarded you. Double unto her double according to her works in the cup which she has filled, fill to her double. That is, God used Babylon to give the cup of wrath to the church. And now, judgment is upon Babylon, therefore fill the cup double. Now, what does that mean? Why a double portion? Well, remember how God spoke of the judgment on the churches and the congregations as on the third part. The third part we read in Revelation 8 again and again. The uh, the third part of trees and the third part of waters and the third part of the sun, moon, and stars. And, and the third part typified the church under the wrath of God, receiving the cup of God's wrath. And God used Satan and his emissaries... Babylon, the kingdom of Babylon, to administer that cup. Well, now God says, give Babylon the cup. And and that relates to Jeremiah 25. Now it's time for the nations to drink of the cup. They'll not be utterly unpunished. Certainly not. As a matter of fact, give it to them double. Why double? Well, because in in Revelation 13... When God is speaking of the beast that uh, who is Satan and and the establishing of that kingdom, really of of um, the unprecedented kingdom of Satan's rule during the Great Tribulation period, we read that um, that God says in verse eighteen of Revelation chapter thirteen, "Here is wisdom. Let him that has understanding count the number of the beast." For it is the number of man, and his number is six hundred three score and six. Six, six, six. Now one third, if you were to write it as a decimal, is three, three, three. But two thirds, if you are to write that as a decimal, is six, six, six. And two thirds represents all of the unsaved inhabitants of the world. And All right, now judgment begins at the house of God on one-third. And following that comes the day of transition, and, and the judgment expands to include the whole world and all the unsaved inhabitants of the kingdom of darkness of Babylon. They are typified by 666 by two-thirds. And now... They 
will drink. And it's a, in a sense, in the figure, of course, these are not actual, uh, figures. It, it's a type and a figure representative of, of things. In this figure, it is doubled. 333 is doubled to 666. And, and so that's why God is speaking of give unto her double. Thanks for joining us for eBible Fellowship Sunday Bible Study. For more information or to hear additional Bible studies, be sure to visit our website at www.ebiblefellowship.com.